Well, in honor of Mother's Day, I thought it would be appropriate to uh, do a little David Letterman top 10 mom laws. And in true David Letterman fashion, we have 11. So, because the first one's not really a law, the first one is more of a curse. Maybe your mom said this to you. Uh, My mom said something like this to me. So, number 11, I hope you have 10 kids just like you. Uh, My mom only said one, but uh, I guess there's a few people in the room who've had more than that. So, uh, but number 10, mom law. If you keep making that face, it'll freeze that way. I don't know if your mom said that one. How about this one? Number nine, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. Or it's all fun and games until someone gets their eye poked out. That was what my mom used to say. Number eight. You know, if you keep crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Number six, my personal favorite. So, oh, seven, thank you. Oh, this one's probably appropriate too. Number seven, if you want me to treat you like an adult, start acting like one. And number six, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Uh... Halfway there, number five. You know, a little soap and water never hurt anybody. Number four, it doesn't matter what the other parents said. I said no. Number three, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Number two, when it's your house, you can make the rules. And the number one, mom law, I love you, always, always, always. Now, if you're sitting here today, then you're probably human. If you're listening online, I'm guessing you're human. Um, And if you're human, then you've probably had some kind of a mom figure in your life. And contrary to many of the greeting cards that we gave or will give today, Uh, Moms are not perfect. They're human. And many of us, because they're human and so are we, many of us get stuck in our relationships with our moms. And even worse, many of us get stuck in our relationships with God. So if you don't relate to any of the mom laws, maybe you relate to a guy named Jim. Now, Jim has believed in Jesus for, for a while, and he's been growing in his relationship and his faith since college. And now he's moved to the cities. He's found a job. He's found a church. He's got a townhouse. And, and he had a little bit of tr- trouble connecting at church, but, but he started volunteering in a couple different areas. And, and so he got some connections. He got involved in a singles group. And he did a few extra tasks and a few extra leadership roles. And, and that seemed to help. Uh, in his hobbies, he's been playing softball in the summers. He's been playing hockey in the winters. That's pretty good for his social life. Um, he goes out on some dates. He does well in his job. And yet, he feels like he's doing all the right things, but he just doesn't feel all that close to God. And he's not sure what to do. Well, if you can relate to Jim, then, then today is is especially appropriate for you today. Today, we've been talking about these elements, these environments, these attitudes, these beliefs, and these behaviors that can transform us. And today we look at this element 
for people like Jim, people like moms, really anyone who is stuck in one of their relationships. And this element is especially powerful if you've been going to church for a while or you've started going to church and and it's sort of working, but it's not feeling like you're exactly growing with in your faith or growing closer and closer to God. You feel kind of close to God, but not really close to God. You might even be frustrated about that. This is the element that you want to listen up for. If you're in a place where where you've been growing and you feel kind of close to God, but not really close. You wouldn't put yourself in this idea of completely committed, fully surrendered, absolutely centered in Christ every day, then this is the element you want to listen for. Now it comes to us uh, in this book that we've been looking at from the, from, called Haggai. It's uh, a little book in the Old Testament, almost towards the end, Uh, It's page 770 if you've gotten one of our blue Bibles as a gift. And if we're like Jim or if we're stuck in our relationship with our mom, the question that we want to ask is, is what gets us unstuck? What frees us from that place? What moves us from sort of close to God to close, to centered, to committed? What is that thing that frees us? What makes us free? And we've been looking at these people in the Bible in Haggai that have returned from exile. They've gone from the place of Babylon and they were the first 50,000 that have come back. They've come back to a broken down city. They started working on the temple, which is what God told them to work on. But after just a little bit and some resistance, they stopped. They stopped for 16 years and they stalled out. Now, God inspired them through, through these messages that came from this prophet called Haggai. And they started building the temple again, and they've been working on the temple for about three months. And yet, nothing is all that different. Their crops are still not great. There's still this sense of scarcity, not just in their agriculture life, but in kind of all of their life. And they're wondering... What gives? What, what's going on? Why? We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Why, why aren't I changing? And so we look in Haggai chapter 2. We start in verse 10. It says in Haggai chapter 2 that on December 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent his message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Ask the priest this question about the law. You know, if one of you is carrying meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and the robe happens to brush against some of the bread or the stew or the wine or the olive oil or any other kind of food, will it become holy? Not something we might ask, but common question in their day. The priests, who are the interpreters of the law, say, no, it wouldn't. So Haggai asks, well, if someone becomes ceremonial unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food become defiled or polluted? The priests say, absolutely, yes. So Haggai responds, this is how it is with everything, this is how it is with these people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offered is defiled by their sin. Look at what's happening around you and before you. 
Look at what is happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you only found 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. And even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. You know, sometimes I open up the Bible and I go, I just don't get it. (laughs) This, at first glance, is one of those situations where I go, I have no idea how this relates to 21st century life. And yet, if we just stop and think about it, I think it does. The priests are supposed to be these people that are are helpful in, in the corporate community's relationship with God. They're the ones that help make this law seem applicable, make these rules from God, if you will, this way and this covenant that they were supposed to live in, livable. And so they are interpreting. And basically the prophet says, you know, does touching something that's holy make something else holy? No. All right. Does, such a, does touching something unholy make something or someone else unholy? Yes. Think about it in terms of physical health. If you're sick, can you give a sickness to a healthy person? You better believe it. It happens all the time. Sometimes we just want to get all our kids sick at the same time because it's just easier than stringing it out over three weeks or four weeks. But yes, a sick person gives their illness to a healthy person. That happens all the time. Now, I haven't seen very often that healthy people give their health to a sick person, and then they're well. Usually, the illness has to run its course. The healthy person can't transfer their health, but the sickness can be transferred. That's, that's what this prophet is trying to say to the people and to the priests, to the leaders who are supposed to be helpful in their relationship with God. And then he turns it to the rest of the people. He says to the priests, Everyone, everyone forgets that for 16 years, they just left what God asked them to do. And now they've been working on it for three months, and they think it's supposed to all be better. They think doing this holy thing or this right thing is going to make everything right. And God says, no. No. You don't understand that That doing right things doesn't make you right. Doing holy things doesn't make you holy. What is is happening here is that the people think following the rituals or the sacrifices or the offerings or the prayers or the religious activity is going to make them right with God. You ever had that? You know, I'm going to church, I'm doing these religious things, I'm serving, I'm doing this. Why don't I feel like I'm right with God? Why don't I feel transformed? Because when we focus on the, when we focus on the ritual, and when we focus on the religion, or when we focus on the rules, we get religion. And religion doesn't transform us. It never has, and I don't think it ever will. 
See, the prophet says, I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you work so hard to produce. Ever feel like you're working on something and you're getting really, really, really frustrated? And you're getting so frustrated that you know you should stop, but you don't. Because you just want to get it done. And then someone wiser, someone much wiser, usually, usually a woman, if it's a man especially, will come over and say, maybe you should walk away, take a couple deep breaths, have something to eat, drink a glass of water, and then come back to it. And it's like brilliant, but you won't do it. I think that's what's going on here. God isn't someone who's trying to mess with us by, by going, I sent these things because I'm angry with you. He's talking about the reality of when we work at religious things, but not focused on God, or when we work at something completely apart from God, it's not going to work. Even if it does work, it's only going to work temporarily. Because life was not created to work without God. God spoke the creation into existence. Everything lives and breathes by the word of God. God sustains his creation. Death, in the spiritual sense, was separation from God. That's what the writer's trying to get at for these people. This is not an angry God who wants them to follow the rules or to do the ritual. This is a loving God who wants relationship with his people. He says, I sent all these things and you still didn't return to me. This is a father or a mother or a friend. This is a person that we see in Jesus Christ saying, I want relationship with you. Many of you, if, you're, if your moms aren't around or if you have a, a a good relationship with your mom, and they live far away, you're probably going to call them. Now, you might say, I sent you a card, or I sent you a card, but it's going to come late, or I wish I could be there. And my guess is, if you have a good relationship with this person, or they're a fairly fairly healthy mom, they're going to say, oh, that's okay. I just want to hear your voice. I just want to talk with you. Because I just want relationship with you. This is what God is trying to say. At at least I think it is. And still you refuse to return to me. You refuse to have a relationship with me. You confuse religion and ritual with relationship. Now, think about what Jesus, our prophet, says. Because this is Haggai speaking to these returners. But... But I think it relates to what Jesus says. And in Luke chapter 9, we've been talking about this verse 2 along with this, this element series. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross daily. And today, you must follow me. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, he, he goes along the Sea of Galilee and he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew. And they were fishermen, and Jesus called to them and said, follow me. And then they left their nets, and they followed him. 
Later, he comes along to other brothers, James and John. They're fishing with their father. Jesus says again, come and follow me. And they leave their father and their nets, and they follow him. Later, Jesus sees a guy named Levi in the scripture. Levi, he's also called Matthew. We get the book of Matthew from him. And he is sitting at a tax collector's booth. And Jesus sees him, and he says, follow me. And Matthew, or Levi, gets up, leaves everything, and follows him. This is the God that we see in the scriptures. This is the person who God reveals himself to in Jesus. It's a God who speaks and calls and asks us to follow. This is a God of relationship. Jesus says, I, doesn't, I don't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he reinterprets the law all through Matthew. And he says, focus on me, not on the rules. Because when you focus on the rules or the rituals, you get religion, which doesn't transform you. But when you focus on Jesus, you get relationship. This is what transforms you. Now, think about the offering that we had a few minutes ago. The offering isn't just a time to invest money into the ministries of restoration. It's not just a rule. We used to actually just have towers in the back and say, they're in the back. You can, you can put in your offering as you'd like. And we were really challenged by a mentor and a, and a coach of mine to say, you're separating offering from your worship of God. When you offer yourselves to God, whether it's your gifts or whether it's your worries, or whether it's your prayers, or whether it's things you're holding on to, or whether it's your money. You do that in relationship with God. So put it in the service, in the worship gathering. And he really challenged us. This is how we remind ourselves that we follow Jesus, not money. It belongs to Jesus because we belong to Jesus. A few minutes ago, we had communion. And when we had and and took communion, was this for you a time where it was a ritual that that you've grown up with? Was this a a mysterious encounter of, of wine or grape juice and bread? Or was this sitting across the table eating food with your Savior? The one who lived and died and rose again, who longs to talk to you, who calls out to you and says, follow me. This is the element of dependence. This is what this guy Jim was missing. Now, when we think about dependence, it, I don't know what it conjures up for you. So, so I got a picture. Thanks, Christine. You're sweet. This is Oliver. And Oliver, cute. Oliver had some real fun in the mud here. Uh, the picture, the brightness isn't quite there, but he's got, he's got mud. I think it's mud. I hope it's mud. Caked all over his fa- hands. It's caked all over his clothes. The poor guy has it caked on his face, doesn't even see it on there. And no amount of, of washing is going to get that clean. No amount of ritual of cleaning will get his hands clean. Definitely his clothes clean. 
It just won't. He needs someone else to wash him. He's got to depend on a mom to scrub the mud off his face. He can't even see it. And it's all over him. This is what God is trying to say to us. You've been playing in the mud. And it's all over. And some places you can't even see. And some places you probably don't even want to tell anyone else about. But I will wash you. I lived and died and rose to make you clean and free you from the mud. It's almost a paradox. To be free, we have to depend on Jesus. The people who are most free, the people who live in this Christ-centered, fully committed, absolutely surrendered relationship where God were those who heard the call of Jesus, left the thing that was most valuable or most successful or most identifiable or most important to them. Maybe they got it back. Maybe they didn't. And followed Jesus. Depended on him to lead them. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Maximum freedom is found when we follow Jesus. Now think about your relationship with your mom, if you can, or a mom figure in your life. There are these moms that are just focused on the rituals. Like every Easter we do this, every Christmas we do this. Make sure you come home, and heaven forbid if you ever change the ritual. If you move away or get married or all of a sudden you want to do something different because that might just rock that mom's world. You you can't ever feel free from that. Think about the mom who thinks preparing and protecting you means focusing on a huge list of do's and don'ts. Make sure you wipe your shoes, give your offering, call your mom, go clean your room, wipe your face, put your shoes away, don't leave the door open, you weren't born in a barn, this, this mom makes it really easy for us to focus on the rules. And some of us might even say, you know, if I could obey those rules, I could be free from her. But, but freedom isn't something that we're free from. Christ-centered freedom is a freedom to. It's a freedom to have a relationship with God. That's what dependence means. It's freedom to to love in a way that's totally unguarded, totally vulnerable. It's a freedom to be able to, to live and speak and act in ways that you don't have to focus on the rules, that you don't have to focus on the relig- religion or the ritual, that you can just focus on that relationship with that person and ultimately that person of Jesus. How dependent do you live each day? The people who are most stuck in their relationship with God say, I don't depend on Jesus. I don't pray pray prayers of dependence for my life each day. And the people who are most free, who feel changed, who feel close to Christ, centered on Christ, and transformed in Christ, say, 
I have to pray prayers of dependence and ask for guidance every day of my life. Do pray dependent guidance prayers. The other thing that people who are stuck don't seem to do is they don't pray prayers of confession of sin. Now, why would you confess sin? Even, even not even thinking about it in a religious context. When you, when you sin, you separate yourself from someone if it's in the context of a relationship. And you confess it so that you can make movement towards that relationship. My daughter had one where she, she was in school and, you know, elementary school and middle school, it's a little challenging to be a girl because cha- I guess friendships change like every millisecond. You know, you can go through six best friends in one week. I didn't know. And, and so we were having a conversation about how she had made a comment about one of her friends and about one of her friends being kind of annoying. Uh, and she had to go confess that. And when she did, she made it right. And the next day, they were great. A little childish, a little sinful. But in essence, that's what confession is. And if we are called to a person and to a relationship with God, then we confess to move ourselves back to that relationship. And, and what Jesus has already done has freed us from the power of that thing or that sin that's over top of us. If you want to live dependent, you pray prayers of guidance every day. If you want to live dependent, you pray prayers of confession of sin. Not out of guilt, not out of ritual, not out of religion. But to make yourselves back facing that relationship, facing the person of Jesus, asking him to forgive you. And when we do, we live in maximum freedom. Think about how you're stuck. Or, or how you would say your relationship with God is. Again, maybe you're like Jim. Maybe you're, you're doing all the right things, but it's all routine, it's all ritual, and it's all really religion, and you're not getting any closer. Jim needed to focus on a relationship with Jesus. And when we focus on that relationship, we find true freedom. Jesus calls, we follow. He says, those who hear my voice and listen, they're the ones that are mine. And I come to give life and life to the full. This is John 10.10. This is when he's talking about being the shepherd and his sheep. Listen to his voice and follow him. This is a relationship. This is what gives life, he says. And that life is that freedom. Would you pray with me? God, I think about dependence. And I got to admit, I despise the word. I think of depends undergarments and the loss of, I should probably stop there, God. I think about little babies that are totally dependent. 
And it's because I have the word all wrong. I think dependent means completely the, the opposite of independent. And independent means to be totally free from. And God, that is my sin. That's my separation. And no amount of religious activity or rules will, will make me right with you. And I have to believe, God, that there are others in the room that are like me. There are others in the room that, that think dependence is weakness or dependence is immaturity. And they resist needing someone. But God, that is the only way to be centered on you. That is the only way to be surrendered to you. And that is the only way to be free is to depend on you, Jesus. And God, when we depend on you, you not only free us, but you free us to a life with you and a life with those who call themselves your followers. So God, would you help us to spend time with you? Would you help us to see you in our relationships? Would you help us to depend on you. And God, would you help us to confess our sin to you? We want to be free. Teach us what that means. In Jesus' name, amen.